calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. This is Exquisite Corpse, Episode 3. Ready for a twist? Everything is dark, but for the palpitating lights of the sensors, the transmitter, and the recording equipment reflecting off the glass panels, my eyes slowly adjust. It really can't ever be dark enough in here. You are unconscious. The neural network hums with your absence. The barrenness of your soon-to-be-permanently-shuttered mind. According to the monitors, your heart rate is what I assume passes as normal for someone in your condition. I hope I didn't break you. Not yet. If that sounds villainous, then good. I have goals. Your head and shoulders are slumped, yet you remain standing, an unworthy supplicant's pose. You are held in place by the neural network's nanofilaments. You are held in place by your recently viewed past. I'm afraid to move, afraid to look for my own past that you keep in a file. That's not what you call it, but that's what it is. For all of the grandeur you attribute to your art, the best and worst of it is collected and catalogued in a file. I mean that to sound degrading, because it is. Yes, I am afraid, but I won't have to move much. I have your remote control in my left hand. Your body is cold and gray, a barely living statue to honor your honorlessness. I should take a simple still photo of you, your back to the camera, you hanging limply within your own web, and insist your final gallery opening consists solely of the photo. But I ever thought what we created was art is near the top of my list of greatest shames. Art is not what we are doing now. 
I press a button on your remote, the one so clearly and lovingly well-pressed. Your captured spirits are allowed to play on the glass again. The Furies are a wonder and a horror. We know we've learned the two words mean the same thing. There I am. I like to think this version you stole, captured, created, confused, called forth, is still inside me somewhere. Even if the truth wavers before my eyes. How could she have ever truly been part of me if she is there now? That's what I tell myself. It's the only way I can keep on stubbornly breathing. You showed me her once. Do you remember showing me? You were so proud, so smug, thinking I would be awed or even grateful at this most fleeting and feckless immortality. And the worst part was, you might have been right. Then, not anymore. I don't need to see her face again. I need to see the fury you haven't showed me. The one from our penultimate project. Yet another lost version of me. She'll be my muse and a model for what I am going to make of you. This other me, she is from our most viewed, most popular collaboration. I haven't yet found her swimming through the false infinity of your glass, but I will. You must remember that performance. But do you remember the details, or only your role as the self-appointed, self-elevated god? The base image we used was of a child's room in a suburban home. A toddler bed in the shape of a car, red and empty in the corner. Glowing celestial stickers decorated the blue walls. It was a nice touch to have those stickers all but dimmed by the end. The woman who volunteered was too destroyed and too high to properly give consent, no matter how warped your definition of consent might be. I knew better than too, so I'm damned just like you. During the performance, the woman repeatedly whispered a nonsensical phrase. Do you remember what it was? It was a line once uttered by a child. A line that once belonged to a child. I don't think you knew that, and frankly, I don't think you cared. I only know because she showed me. You had her wear a 1950s-era short-sleeved polka-dotted dress. Americana, you said. We'll show them the lie of what it always was and what it has become. Your purience and garish lack of subtlety was why this was our most successful and popular project. Do you realize this? I agreed. I wanted to show everyone what we all had become. The ruffled hem fell to her knees. With dots of light, the same size and shape as the ones on her dress, we spotlighted the acne on her face, the livid bruises and ruined veins on her arms and legs. You had her cradle a globe cactus in her left arm, instructed her to hold it as she might hold a sleeping child, as she once held her child. The spines dimpled her flesh. She whispered her phrase to the cactus. Did you hear her? Did you ever hear her? As you made your map with the 13, did you really have to spell out for the audience what the 13 stood for? Loaded syringes. As you poked holes in her skin, I connected to the neural network. I had my own pathway by then. 
I assumed you knew. I assumed you knew a lot of things. Despite your bombastic and too-on-the-nose John Philip Sousa parodying synth soundtrack, her convulsions and spasms in rhythm with the patriotic march, I heard her whispering that phrase clearly. I saw her fury emerge before she died. And then I heard and saw her child saying, Fragas Ribbit, on the last night he was alive. And she agreed that a frog says Ribbit on the last night he was alive. And after he was asleep, she drank two glasses of wine on the last night he was alive. And she slept a deep sleep on the last night he was alive. And somewhere, sometime, there was a time, a very specific time, in that night when the child woke and called to her. She doesn't know if he called out, but in her traitorous mind he did and continues to do so. And she didn't wake up. And she didn't go sing him a song or curl herself into a protective bubble around him. So he climbed out of his bed by himself and he left his bedroom by himself. And he hovered like a balloon at the top of the wooden staircase by himself. And maybe he called out to her one last time before trying the cold, hard wooden stairs by himself. I found her. I found us. Her fury and my most recent fury, the one I inadvertently made when I joined the network. The one at which I can't look. It occurs to me you didn't realize this part of me is in here. I assume she hides from you. The other furies recede to the edges of the glass. Her fury says, Frog is a bit. And my fury listens. We are battered and even older than we look. We have been in the glass for centuries. We are impossibly sad. We hold hands and we do not let go. I could watch us all night. I could watch us forever. I delete us from your files. I won't be so foolish as to believe that I've set us free. No one is free. Even in death, even in memoriam. The other furies within the glass boil with grief and rage. I don't blame them. I watch them. I try to honor them. But I can't delete them all just yet. I may need them still. I told you already that I was damned. The door to your studio opens when it is supposed to. In truth, they are 20 minutes late, but I anticipated that as well. Were you conscious? Would you recognize them from the hard clack of their shoes, the frictive swish of their artisanal threads, their exotic colognes, the coordinated and practiced opulence communicated by their proper and synchronized breaths, the unperturbed beating of their hearts? One says... You started the final performance, says the other. One says, Without us, that will not do, says the other. Your two sons laugh in unison. I think you'd agree that is a terrible sound. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. They stop laughing and stand there at the glass. Side by side, arms at their sides, hands touching. Staring at the man they refuse to call father. They study him, eyes unblinking. They appear as if they are trying not to smile. The two men look like they could be twins, with their dark, curly hair, high cheekbones, and emerald eyes, but they are not. Twenty-two months separate their births. The older son steps forward presses his forehead against the cool glass like an innocent adolescent anxious to spy the first fluttering flakes of a forecasted snowstorm outside his bedroom window. But neither of these men was ever young of heart or innocent of mind. Such things did not exist in their home. The younger man remains in place. After a moment, he crosses his hands as in prayer and says, Do you remember the first time? Like it was yesterday. All of our yesterdays. The older son leans back from the glass and nods. I was nine. You were seven. And we were at the beach house. His brother finishes. Mother remained at home in the city, presumably attending to some important business errand, but we both know he planned it that way. He wanted us to himself that weekend. We arrived on Friday evening, and after we'd unpacked and had dinner, I remember we ate at the Bayside Inn. Best crab cakes and lobster bisque on the East Coast. He surprised us by allowing us to play on the beach until sunset. I tried to build a sandcastle, but the surf was too rough and kept washing it away. He collected seashells. I still have one of those shells, hidden in my sock drawer. Celeste showed up the next morning, 
looking as perplexed as we were. We had three rotating housekeepers on duty in the city, but none of them had ever worked at the beach house. We used a local service for that. He told us to go into the playroom and not come out until he'd had a chance to speak with Celeste. We thought he was going to fire her. She had missed her bus the week before and come in 10 minutes late. He'd been furious. But it was so much worse than that. The playroom at the beach house had been one of the few pleasant memories I had of that time. The younger son's lips twitch into something resembling a smile. It's a painful expression he doesn't often wear. All those books and puzzles. The movie posters on the walls and the miniature horses by the big bay window. What did we name them again? Mine was Spirit. Mirrors was Thunder. I remember we would have races. A snap of fingers. That's right. The racetrack and the train set were my favorites. I would pretend I lived in one of the tiny houses that lined the tracks and I'd fish off the little stone bridge. What about the stuffed dinosaurs? They were as big as we were. A shake of the head. I'd forgotten all about them. I noticed the cameras first. One tucked up high on the bookshelf. Another smaller one attached to the ceiling in the corner. It's red light blinking in the shadows. It wasn't until later that we learned he had hidden half a dozen cameras throughout the room. Before we could even investigate, he brought in Celeste and explained the game. She was smiling and nodding along with him as he told us. But her eyes were puffy and shiny, as if she had just finished crying. And she kept glancing over her shoulder at the open door. At first, you didn't believe him. You told him so, and he just laughed. But I knew he was serious. He never joked about his work. She screamed the first time I swung the hammer. And then she started praying. There was so much blood. Her foot was ruined. But she never said another word after that. Not when we switched to the pliers or the razor. She just made that grunting sound, almost like an animal. And she cried the whole time. I remember the silent tears on her blood-spattered cheeks, like makeup running in the rain. And her eyes, I think her eyes were the worst. That look of betrayal. He didn't even stay in the room with us. Just barked out his instructions, left his tools told us what would happen to Mother if either of us disobeyed, and locked the door behind him. We never had a choice, did we? A long moment of silence. Then, Celeste was a tough lady. Yes, she was. I'm sure she was paid handsomely for her efforts. And never had to clean another house in her lifetime would have been difficult with all that damage to her hands and feet. Indeed. I haven't thought of her in years. I have. When it was over, he came back into the room and shooed us away. I remember we ran down to the beach and washed ourselves in the Atlantic. We couldn't stop crying. But at some point, the crying turned into laughter. We laughed and laughed, as if we had gone mad and splashed each other in the waves. I wonder why that was. 
When we got back to the house later that afternoon, Celeste was gone, and the playroom was locked up tight. Not that I wanted to venture inside. I haven't stepped foot in that room since that day. I haven't either. Later, he took us to dinner and talked about the meteor shower expected that night. He sat there and picked at his seafood pasta and acted like nothing had even happened. And he talked about the Red Sox game. Do you remember that? Which was odd. He had never talked about sports before, at least with the two of us. Do you think he was nervous? Doubtful. What then? Probably bored. A slow, thoughtful nod, eyes pointed at the ground. And thinking about his next project. I know we promised each other not to many times, but if there ever existed a day to admit such a thing, today is the day. I'm sorry, but I watched the video once. I gasp. Excuse me? I stumbled upon it online one night when I couldn't sleep. I was drunk and angry. I couldn't believe my eyes when I read the description. And you actually watched it? Not all of it, but enough. And? It was heinous. I vomited in my office trash can and turned off the video. I haven't been tempted since. I've never been tempted, not even once. Then you are most fortunate. The two sons turn and face each other. Their faces pale beneath their raven hair. Their eyes, identical deep pools of green, look sad and lost and angry. But there are no tears. Not for the man they refuse to call father, and not for themselves. You're listening to Fear, Exquisite Corpse. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Exquisite Corpse is written by Richard Chismar, Paul Cornell, Christopher Golden, Brian Keane, Cassandra Kaw, Stephen Kozanuski, Nick Mamatis, Sisters of Slaughter, Paul Tremblay, and Alyssa Wong. Performed by XE Sands. Produced by Lydia Shama. Executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith. Original music by Amanda Rose Smith. Fear is produced by Mary Osadolihi and Kaylin West. 
Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.